Mark chapter 14, we are working our way through the gospel of Mark and nearing the completion. This is something that we've been doing for uh, many months now. In fact, you go all the way back to about the time that school began uh, in the fall was when we started working through the gospel of Mark. And we will finish it up in a matter of a few weeks. The first Sunday in June is kind of when we are targeted at this point to finish our study through the gospel of Mark. Today, the passage that we're going to look at is in Mark chapter 14. You know, anytime we get together for holiday celebrations, it seems like there's often a meal involved, right? I mean, uh, you can't, especially if you're Baptist, right? I mean, you can't get together and and be Baptist and not have food be part of it. But in our families, even uh, a lot of our holiday gatherings center around meals, Christmas time, Easter, Thanksgiving, Mother's Day even, you get together, we, we share food together, we break bread together, we are at the table together because there's something really special and significant about, about sharing a meal with someone. It's more than just a, a physical thing. It is, in many ways, it's, uh, it's metaphysical. It connects us in a way that's even greater than just sitting at the table together. Well, we see that in this text today because as the time of his death approaches, Jesus shares the last supper, as we often refer to it, with his disciples. We know that this was the Passover meal this, that they were sharing together in celebration of the Passover meal. And as one uh, commentator put it, the, the last supper was also the first communion. Or as we might say, what I really want us to see today is that though we refer to this as the Last Supper, it was really the beginning of something beautiful and new. Not the end of anything really, but the beginning of something beautiful and new. And we'll see that as we study together. Mark chapter 14. Let's start in verse 12 and we'll read through verse 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when, the sac- when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? This is an interesting sign for maybe a a number of reasons. Principally, the fact that a man would be carrying this jar of water. That was in the culture of the day, in the, in the practice of the day. That was the work of, of, of a woman or perhaps of servants. This was not the man of the house's job to carry water. So Jesus was saying to his disciples, when you see this, it will be a sign that this is the man that you are to approach. Perhaps another reason why this would have been distinctive is because this happened just as Jesus said it would. So the timing of it all, it's as if Jesus is able to see into the future here because the timing of it all works exactly the way that he told his disciples that it would work, that it As they enter into the city at just the right time, they would see just the right man headed in just the right direction. They were to follow him, and that was to be the house where they would celebrate together this Passover meal. Verse 15, we keep reading. He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. 
and they prepared the Passover. Verse 17, and when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It's the one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him, for that man, if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so in doing this, Jesus shares the Passover meal with his disciples, the the last supper, but it was also the, the first supper. It was also the beginning of something beautiful and new. And so I want us to see this as we study our way through this passage now in essentially in three different uh, three different unfolding divisions. We see, if you look just simply at the paragraph divisions in your text, you see the basic structure, the basic outline of this text just within these paragraph divisions. And each one of these makes for us, I think, a, a different point that will help us to see this as the beginning of something beautiful and new through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so the first point that we'll look at is the Passover preparation. Passover preparation. The time has come for the celebration of the Passover. The celebration of the Passover was, in many ways, it was the, the highlight, one of the high points of the year, both in terms of their worship, the worship of the Jewish calendar, but also, in many ways, just in terms of their cultural, their, their, uh, their, their practices with their families, because The Passover was a pilgrimage feast. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, we read that they were to celebrate the Passover within the city of Jerusalem, that they were only to celebrate Passover within the city of Jerusalem. That meant that people from all over, Jews from all over the nation of Israel, and at this point in history, even beyond the borders of historic borders of the 12 tribes, scattered throughout the known world, that they would travel back, they would make the pilgrimage back to the city of Jerusalem at the time of Passover, that they may celebrate the Passover together. Picture this in your minds, okay? I want you to picture Times Square on New Year's Eve and the throngs of people. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've, maybe you've been to Times Square and you've been a part of the sea of people. No doubt we've all watched it on TV at some point, right? The masses of people, shoulder to shoulder, busy streets, crowded rooms, everywhere you go, people. That was the atmosphere in the city of Jerusalem surrounding the celebration of Passover because people would come from all over. The church historian, the ancient historian, really ancient Jewish historian, Josephus, tells us this. That in the year 66 A.D., so that's about 30 years, a little more than 30 years after this particular celebration of Passover with Jesus and his disciples. But Josephus tells us, he gives us some specific numbers. That in the year 66 A.D., the year that, that Herod's temple was completed, 
that they sacrificed 255,600 lambs in the temple for the celebration of Passover. Now, if you conservatively, Jewish families were large families in this day and time, and a lamb was expensive. So you didn't have a lamb per person by any means. That would have been wasteful. An entire family, an entire extended family would have would have celebrated Passover together with one Passover lamb. And Josephus goes on to in, to sort of do some of the math for us. That conservatively, if you were to calculate 10 people who would have partaken of each of these Passover lambs, that's two and a half million people in the city of Jerusalem at the time of Passover. That's so astounding compared to what we know of the, the walls, the borders, the, the city limits of the ancient city of Jerusalem. It's so astounding that many people today say, that, no, he's exaggerating. That couldn't be. That's not even numerically, that's not even possible that they could have fit that many people into the city of Jerusalem around the time of Passover. All we know is that those are the numbers that Josephus recorded for us. And if we take him at his word, then that means that, consider this, that the city of Jerusalem would have grown to many, many, many times its normal size as people swelled into the city to celebrate Passover together. And it's in the midst of this, in the midst of this crowded, busy occasion, that Jesus' own disciples approach him and say, Master, Jesus, what should we do to prepare a place for you to celebrate Passover? What, 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 what do we need to do to prepare the way for you? And Jesus, Jesus tells them very specifically what they're to do. They're to go into the city, that they were to find this man carrying the jar of water. They were to follow him to his house. They were to say, where is the place where the master can celebrate Passover? Right? Very specific instructions that were made here for the celebration of the feast. But the most beautiful thing that we see in this text, beyond the specifics of the room and the right location and all of this, is that really Jesus is doing more than just preparing a room for the meal. He's preparing their hearts as well. See, not only is Jesus going to celebrate Passover with his disciples, but as we will see, he is the Passover lamb. He is truly, we might say, the feast. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us that. And so he, he's preparing their hearts for the work that they would do. Now, today, of course, is Mother's Day. And, and no doubt after church today, we're going to go, many of us celebrate a meal with mom. Around our house today, part of our celebration for Mother's Day is that I'm making lunch. So pray for us, Okay. But it started yesterday, went to the store yesterday, got all the stuff to make some of Rayleigh's favorite things and spent uh, a couple of hours last night. You know, I'm not a great cook, so it probably takes me much longer than it would take someone who really knows what they're doing. What did we ever do before Google, by the way? Uh, you can just Google, how do I make this or how do I make that, right? So I'm making all the food and I'm making all the, I'm, I'm preparing everything and putting it all together. We'll go home after lunch today and see if it worked, right? See how good it really is and, and celebrate mom together. You know, growing up, I didn't appreciate how much time went into 
holiday gatherings. You just don't, especially when you're younger, you don't appreciate all of the work that goes into getting ready for family celebrations. But we see even here, Jesus with his disciples. They didn't just show up and have the Passover. There were preparations that would have been involved. Finding the location, preparing the sacrifice, setting the table, having all of this in order for this very important meal. But as Jesus is preparing and making, and he's giving them instructions really to prepare for, he's also preparing their hearts. I want you to notice a couple of things we see about the, the disciples' response. The first one is we see, we see that in their obedience to what Jesus told them to do, go to the city, find this man, follow him. In their simple obedience, he's preparing their hearts for, for something much greater, to obey and follow something much greater. And also we see the importance of God's perfect timing in all of this. Just the right man in just the right location, just the right sign to follow him so that all of these things would take place exactly as Jesus said. You know, when we see all of this and and the way that all of these pieces fall together, we know that none of this happened by accident. None of this was sheer circumstance. This was the the preordained plan of God that he would sacrifice his son, Jesus, as the true spotless lamb for our sins. And we see all of the work that has gone into preparing for this Passover. So we see Passover preparation. The second thing that we see is Jesus' Passover prediction. He makes a prediction in the very next paragraph as they are gathered together around the table. They were reclining at the table, it says, to eat. Now, in, in ancient culture, at a formal meal, particularly at a Passover meal, they would recline around the table. And that doesn't mean that they had their, their lazy boys and they would pop back in a recliner around the table. But literally, they would, the table would be low to the ground and they would lay. They would set out pillows, floor pillows of sorts, and they would, they would recline around the table. And, and that's how they would eat the meal. It was a slow process. The meal would be served in multiple courses. It was a very intentional process. The, the Seder meal, as it was known, the Passover meal, was very intentional and very symbolic. And, and it took time to work through all of this. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus makes this prediction to his disciples. He says, one of you is going to betray me. Of course, they were all struck to the heart. And they began to question, is it, is it me? Surely it's Surely it's not me, Jesus, but Jesus says to them here, it's the one who dips from the cup after me, right, is, is, uh, is what he tells them. And so, of course, they were looking who's sharing the dish with Jesus, who's the one that, 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 might, be, that might be the betrayer of Christ, we know, of course, that it was Judas. We look backward now, we, we, we study all this, we see all these events unfolding, and, and we know, even from our study last week, that Judas sought for a way that he might betray Jesus. And here's what I want you to see again in this, in the fulfillment of this prediction. Jesus says, first of all, look, Jesus says that this would happen as it was written, right? The Son of Man, verse 21 goes as it is written of him. Jesus is, is revealing to us that, 
This isn't just circumstance. This isn't happenstance, as we might call it today. That these unfolding events, this was an intentional, willful act. Jesus knew, nonetheless, that these things would take place. And he doesn't stop them. He could have. He had the power to. Certainly as, as God, he had the power to call down the angels of heaven and stop these. But even more than that, he could have just slipped away as he had done times before. He could have escaped all of this, but he knew that this was his purpose. This was ultimately the reason why he, would come, he had come, was to sacrifice himself. And so he, he predicts this to, to happen. He, he reminds us, looking backward at it now, he reminds us that all of this was a part of God's plan. But here is what's so interesting as well that I, I want you to see. is that When we think about Judas, we tend to think that Judas... And he betrayed Jesus. He turned on Jesus. And he did. And even as Jesus says here, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas experienced the ultimate consequence of that sin in his, in his punishment. Because the sin reveals that he betrayed Christ. He turned his back on him. But something else that's really important that I don't want you to miss is that in reality, you and I, we've turned our backs on him as well. Because that's really what sin is, ultimately. Sin is our rebellion against God. Sin is our traitorous acts of defiance against the sovereign authority of God. God, I will do this my way. I know better. My power, what I want, what will make me happy. Sin ultimately is symbolic of, or more than symbolism, it's, it's, it, it, it reminds us that we have rebelled against God. We have betrayed him in our sin. And yet the scriptures tell us that everyone who would confess their sin will receive forgiveness. Why is that? Because of the work of Jesus. Because, because of precisely what he predicted would take place, did take place. He gave his life as a sacrifice for us, the true Passover lamb. So we've seen his Passover preparation, his Passover prediction, but then we also see the Passover proclamation. The Passover proclamation. Look at what Jesus says. I, I want to talk about the significance of this. Verse 22, we see that as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, it says he broke and gave it to them. Take, this is my body. And then it tells us he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. We know that in the Passover Seder, which is the Passover supper that they would celebrate together, that there are actually four different cups that they take. There is a very prescribed, very structured, very, we might refer to it as systematic, even liturgical order to the Passover supper, the Passover Seder. And th so this speaks of these things happening after they took bread and they ate. And then after, it says that after he took a cup and he gave thanks, this would have been the third cup in the Passover Seder. I, I want to show you something. If you look in Exodus chapter 6 and you look at Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, there is outlined for us the basic pattern of the Passover Seder. Read these verses. 
Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So in the Passover Seder, that's the first cup, the the cup of freedom. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. That's the second cup of the Seder, the cup of delivery. He goes on to say in writing here, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Do you know what the third cup is called? The third cup of the Seder? It's called the cup of redemption. What a beautiful picture that as he took the third cup, the cup of redemption, and as he held it up for his disciples, that Jesus said, this cup, the cup of redemption, is the cup is my blood. It's a new covenant for you. And then the fourth cup would have been the cup of uh, the, the cup of, uh, of, of, we would call it the cup of uh, taking or the cup of deliverance. You go into the next verse, verse 7, and you read, I will take you to be my people. That we, He takes us to be his people. But I want you to listen to this. These are the words that are spoken. Again, this is all a very systematic, a very structured, prescribed form. As they would celebrate the Passover Seder, they would take the third cup and the one leading the meal would say, speak praises to our God to whom belongs what we have eaten. And then everyone who is gathered together in unison would say, praise be to our God for the food we have eaten. And then he would take the cup, the cup of redemption, and he would pray a prayer. And following the prayer, by the way, that was a prayer of thanksgiving. It's exactly what Jesus did, right? But then listen to these words. This is so, this is so significant. These are the words that were spoken. May the all-merciful one make us worthy of the days of the Messiah and of the life of the world to come. He brings the salvation of his king. He shows covenant faithfulness to his anointed, to David and to his seed forever. He makes peace in his heavenly places. May he secure peace for us and for all Israel and say you, amen. And then together in unison around the table, they would say, amen. What a beautiful picture that as Jesus holds high the cup of redemption, he says, this cup is a covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. What he's saying to them is, guys, Do you get it? This Passover celebration that you've been doing for, at this point, generation upon generation upon generation. Don't you see? All of this was pointing toward me. And that's his proclamation. That's exactly what he says to his disciples. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Jesus came to offer himself Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus told us, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He reminds us of that truth here. Jesus came to offer himself, the true sacrificial Passover lamb, the true redemptive cup that was poured out for us so that we might be forgiven and set free. When we understand this, It brings so much greater significance to our celebration of the Lord's Supper, doesn't it? 
It brings so much more weight, so much more worth, so much more meaning to the, the communion that we share together. Because that's really what it is. In the, in the, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, they often refer to the, the communion, as we would call it, or the Lord's Supper, as we would call it. They refer to it as the Eucharist. Maybe you've heard that before. The word Eucharist actually just comes from the Greek word Eucharisteo, which means to give thanks. It's a reminder that the, the table, that the supper, that the meal, communion, is about giving thanks to God for what he has done for us. And we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? That Jesus gave himself as the true, spotless Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. We see that beautifully here. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And more than that, that Jesus is doing a new work, a new covenant by his blood. Jeremiah predicted this. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. This is what Jeremiah writes. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with them, the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. How is it possible that the Father can forgive our iniquity? How is it possible that he can remember our sin no more? It's because he has, he has declared a new covenant. Not one enacted by a law. Not one enacted by by a, a, a relationship between God and man whereby we have to follow the rules, follow the law, keep the burden of the law. No, but one much greater because it's enacted upon the blood of Christ who gave himself as the sacrifice for us. And this is exactly what Jesus is pointing to as he shares this meal. See, the Last Supper was really a new beginning because it was here that Jesus tells us I'm about to do something new. But I wonder, have you ever experienced that new beginning in your own life personally through faith in Christ? Even as we saw Carter give, give witness to, the, to, to his conversion, his profession of faith this morning, even as we saw that beautifully portrayed in baptism, has there ever been a time in your life when you have trusted Christ by surrendering your life to him? When you have allowed his payment, his blood shed on the cross to pay the price for your sin because by faith you surrender yourself to him. Jesus says plainly that this is the new covenant of his blood which is poured out for many. I wonder, are you counted among the many who have trusted in Jesus? In a moment we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response. And in our invitation today, if there's never been a time when you have trusted Christ by faith, when you have surrendered your life to him, then friend, today, I pray that today would be the day, that this would be the moment where you surrender your life to him. This same Jesus who offered himself 
as the redeeming sacrifice, the new covenant by his blood, the same Jesus who gave himself on the cross for your sin, that you would receive him by faith, trusting in him, that you would admit your sin, that you would believe, that you would confess him as Savior and Lord. Today, if you want to trust Christ, then during our invitation, as our staff are here at the front as we sing this song, that I, I want to encourage you, come, take us by the hand. Let us pray with you a prayer of faith. Let us walk you through that declaration of faith as you surrender your life to him and declare him to be Savior and Lord. I wonder maybe if you're here today and you know that you've trusted Christ, but when you look at all of this, it's a reminder to you that Jesus has placed a call on you, that Jesus has given you a responsibility You are to walk in obedience in the same way that we saw him preparing the disciples' hearts, in the same way that that they needed to walk in obedience by by going into the city, by finding the man that he told them, in the same way that we see that they were obedient and that because of their obedience, all of these things fell in place. I wonder if, if today God is saying to you, I want you to be obedient to me. There's something in your life, maybe a specific thing that he's calling to you, a a specific word that he's speaking to your heart even now. And what he's saying is that I want your obedience. I want you to follow me. And I pray that you too would would take that step of obedience to, to follow after him, to do what he's calling you to do in our invitation today as we sing and as we celebrate the work of Christ. And so I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. After I do that, we'll stand to sing this song. And as we sing, our altar is open. Our staff are here at the front ready to pray with you, ready to receive you. I ask that you would respond in obedience and faith today to the word of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you gave yourself as the sacrificial lamb. You truly were the one who was poured out for us. The cup that you that you truly gave wasn't just the cup that you shared with your disciples. It was your blood spilled for us so that we could be forgiven and set free. We're thankful. God, we're, our hearts are, are full of thanksgiving and praise for all that you've done. But more than just thanks, we desire to honor that sacrifice by walking in obedience with you. Stir us now. Move us to action, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. As we stand together now to sing the song of invitation,